Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Want to learn more about us? Check us out online at thefathershouse.com. We'd love to stay connected. Now, let's go to this week's message. I love this new series. So the t-shirts are out there. We call these t-shirts the uh, walking, talking invite cards. So you wear that. Somebody says, a league of least likely. I haven't seen that movie. Then you can say, well, let me tell you about the movie. I'm a real star in that movie. And uh, I'm the least likely to be chosen. And then you can say things like, uh, hey, have you ever heard of Ehud? Have you ever heard of Shamgar? Have you ever heard of Abigail? Some great people that God used. So I don't want you to miss one week. We're going to be looking at some obscure characters in the Bible that God used in a very, very powerful way. So get your t-shirt, wear it. Don't miss a Sunday because a Sunday you miss, that will be a character you've never heard of. But not only that, but we're also, we also have testimonies from people that are least likely. In fact, I don't know if you know it, but you're sitting beside some convicted felons today. You're sitting beside some people that have been arrested for drug addiction. You're sitting beside some people that society said they're no count. You're sitting beside some people that have been divorced. You're sitting beside some people that have been abandoned, have been rejected. But you know what? What I know about God is he often goes to the very back of the line to choose the ones that he wants to use. We're talking about the league of the least likely. I don't know how, how you were in school, uh, you know, you may have been one that they, when they was ready to make the choosing, you know, like if you choose for basketball, I would usually get chosen somewhere at the top, top of the area or football, but softball, I never was very good at softball. So when it was like in the playground, you know, getting ready to play softball, they'd say, you know, I take him, I take him, I took her, I take him, I take him. And I'm like the last one standing in softball right there. And then the, and the horrible thing is that when somebody says, and I'm the last one there, you think they're going like, to choose me, right? They say, we'll take Sarah. She's coming in 15 minutes. <laughs> and that's how many of us feel. We feel like everybody else is more qualified than we are. Everybody else God can use, but can he really use me? Well, it's blessed resurrection morning, and I'm so thankful that the Lord is, a, that he has risen and that he is my savior, right? A Sunday school teacher asked her class once before Easter if they knew why Easter was important and what it was all about. One student raised her hand, yes, yes, yes. Easter is when we get together as a family and we eat turkey and we eat and we sing songs about the pilgrims. Teacher said, no, that's really not Easter. I know, I know, I know. Another student said, Easter is when you get a tree, we decorate it and we sing about Santa Claus. <coughs> no, 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 that's not it. And another student, I know, I know. Easter is when Jesus was killed, put in the tomb and left for three days. And the teacher said, shh. Finally, some student knows about Easter. And then the student continued. Then everybody gathers around the tomb and they wait to see if Jesus will come out. 
If he sees his shadow, he goes back inside and we have six more weeks of winter. Oh, no, 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 no. So I hope that you that are parents uh, put your kids in Kids City next door or in, a, or in the youth uh, children's ministry next door because they'll teach your children about Easter, all right? We're starting this new series today, League of Least Likely. I've been so looking forward to this. It'll go all the way through Mother's Day. Uh, do, do they still do high school yearbooks? Okay. This is my high school yearbook. We were called the Redskins. I guess that's not politically accurate anymore, right? 1968. I know some of you, a lot of you weren't even married, weren't even born in 1968, right? But one of the things that they used to do in these uh, uh, yearbooks is they would do a, uh, they would do a most likely, and they would send out a little poem, most likely to get the Heisman Trophy, most likely to uh, do something else, most likely here, most likely there, and they would have all of those. Uh, mine was most likely to get out of town and never come back. No, that wasn't what it was. But a lot of times we'd say, you know what? I never really made the most likely. But I was the person that would have been known as the least likely. That's why this series is going to be so important. And to help you with this series and to help you with your kids on this series, I'd like you to take out your phone. Oh, sorry. This is an antique. Can't drop that. Take out your phone, and I'd like for you to go to the Father's House website, okay? Let's do this, because I'm going to tell you something good that, that's there you need to look at. The Father's House, uh, that automatically just comes up real quick on my phone. And then there it is. It says uh, Easter at TFH in person or online, and you scroll on down. It says join us. Yes, we're open. Celebrate recovery. That's a great thing on Monday nights for hurts, habits, and hangups. Right now, media, the Netflix of Christian Bible study. That's awesome. Growth track. If you've never been through growth track, you need to go through growth track. Life groups. And then there's talking about uh, the shoes that we've, how many, like 5,500 shoes, something like that. Three more weeks to go. Isn't that awesome? Wow. And then there is uh, some Bible reading plans. There's two of them today. The first one is Finding Our Voice, Ordinary People, Lessons from Little-Known Bible Characters. And the other one is What's in the Bible, Heroes of the Old Testament. So what you would do is that you just press on that picture. And when you press on that picture, then it comes up and says, Join the Plan with TFH. So you push that button. And so you're in with version. So you're part of several people every day that will do these two studies. The first one lasts about, I think it's five days, something like that. The other one is 21 days, and it's my favorite. It's a cartoon. So every day for 21 days, you can watch with your kids a cartoon about different Bible characters, and then you can respond. Looks like right now we've got 13 signed up, so all of those hypocrites in the first service didn't sign up. So uh, I hope that you hurry up and sign up so we have a lot of people, right? Uh, people sign up this afternoon. So we're going to be talking about people that God used in a great way. And so, I mean, when you think about in the Bible, we think about the people that God used. Think about this. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem and was a murderer. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a high-priced call girl. Jeremiah was too young. Timothy was of a mixed race. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. 
Naomi was a widow. Peter denied Christ three times. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. And Lazarus was dead. But yet, they were all found in the league of the least likely. Our theme verse for this series, and I want to challenge you to memorize this theme verse, verses 26 to 31. This is a long one, so don't let your children show you up on this one. We're going to memorize this verse. Let's read it with me. In fact, Rick introduced it to us last week, right? So let's read it together. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses nobodies to expose the hallowed pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, Right thinking, right living, a clean slate, and a fresh start comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have a saying, say it loud, if you're going to blow your horn, blow a trumpet for God. So I'm going to give you just a couple of thoughts that we're going to look at today, plus it's going to be kind of like the foundation of what we're going to look at for the next uh, five or six weeks. Number one, don't judge by appearance, but by action. Don't judge by appearance, but by action. The world is all about appearance, all about looks. You know, the right look, the right diet, the right fad, the right cosmetic surgery, the right image. And if you get their image right and everything, you can be a successful person. So let me tell you about some great people in our society. When he was in the first grade, his teachers kicked him out of school, told his parents he's too stupid, he's mentally retarded, he's not suitable for education, he can't come back. Well, I wonder what those teachers felt like when he, through his experiments, patented over 1,093 inventions. One of those, the electric light bulb, Thomas Edison, in case in point. And this next one says, this young man didn't start talking before he was four. He didn't start reading until he was seven. They said he's mentally handicapped. Well, he went on to win the Nobel Peace Prize. He altered the world's approach to physics. I guess for the first four years of his life, Einstein was just thinking about something worth talking about. In 1954, Jimmy Denny who was then the manager of the Grand Ole Opry, fired this young singer after his first performance. He said to him, you ain't going nowhere, son. You might as well go back to driving trucks. But Elvis Presley shook it on up, and he kept going beyond that. You don't judge by appearances, but you judge by a person's actions. In 1959, Universal Pictures executive told this man, you don't have what it takes. You don't have the right looks to be a star. You got a chip in your tooth. Your Adam's apple sticks out too far. And you talk too slow. Well, 
Clint Eastwood went on with 50 different films, producing, directing, composing. And so you can't judge by appearance, but it's by action. So what I want to say to you today is that when God gets ready to assemble a group of world changers, he often chooses from people that are in the back of the line. And in the back of the line, if you judge them, you'd say, oh, no, 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 they, they don't have what it takes. They've made too many mistakes. There's too many things wrong in their life. You're going to be so excited in this series to see some of these Bible characters and some of the people that sit with you in church every Sunday. Now, in December of 2022, we're going back to the Holy Land. And so if you're interested in that, there's a brochure outside. But can you imagine, in December of 2022, we'll have several people from the Father's house get on a plane, fly to New York, from New York straight into Tel Aviv. But can you imagine, uh, on that flight, if partial way through there, uh, somebody hijacked that plane? and landed in some obscure place. Now, if you knew that all of us from the Father's house was on that plane, wouldn't you want our United States government to put together the best special ops team that could possibly be the best sharpshooter, uh, the best bomber, the best all of those things to say, hey, we need to get back the people from the Father's house, or maybe it was your son or your daughter. Wouldn't you want the best the best, the brightest, and all of that. But here's God, and God looks down on this earth, and there's a whole group of people that are held hostage by sin. So what does God do? Does he say, I'm going to send Gabriel, I'm going to send Michael, I'm going to send this, this, these guys over here, they got the uh, machine guns, I'm going to send these, their specialties in this, their specialty in raining fire. No, he doesn't do that. But what does he do? He looks down in the least likely people and he says, I choose you and I choose you and I choose you and I choose you because nobody else would choose you, but God would choose you. And so that's what he's doing for us. Now today, I want to look at the obscure character, Jesus. You say, ooh, that's crazy. Jesus, like he's, that Bible's about Jesus. But what you got to realize is that we view Jesus from this vantage point looking back. We see him sort of like in the, in the movies from Hollywood, you know, he stands out. But 700 years, say 700 700 years before Jesus' birth, there's an Old Testament prophet by the name of Isaiah. And if you want to open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 53, that's where I'm going to be in just a minute. There was a, 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah the prophet looked down through the periscope of time in this, in this gathering and how that God is going to redeem fallen man. And he sees this Messiah. His name is Jesus. But Isaiah doesn't see him as somebody that everyone's, oh, I want to be on your side. I want to be on your side. I want to be on your side. Isaiah sees him as somebody that's overlooked, that no one would have chosen him out of the crowd. In fact, look at this, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 and 2. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant, talking about Jesus, the Messiah there, grew up in God's presence, but he grew up like a tender green shoot. Not, not like a mighty tree, but like a little tender green shoot just, just coming out of the ground. Like a root in dry ground. Now, if you're going to say something's going to grow, 
It doesn't grow in dry ground, does it? But he says, when, when you look at him and everything about him, he's the least likely. He goes on to say, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. It's not like Satan. Satan's beauty made him be puffed up. Some person said, do you think Satan still... Be? Sure, sin is attractive for a season, right? Till it destroys you. You see, Christianity will never be the popular thing. You as a Christian will never be the popular one that they interview. You'll be the one that they say, you're crazy, you're judgmental, there's no right for you to do that. So listen, if Jesus was, teach, if, Jesus was uh, act, if people acted towards him that way, how much more do you think he's going to do us? There's nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. The message says there's nothing about him that would cause us to take a second look. He was looked over and passed over. That's Jesus. The least likely rabbi from Nazareth. Now, isn't it interesting that when he was born, he wasn't born in Rome, the cultural center of the world. Now, I mean, listen... If you think that, okay, here's God, and he's going to send a redeemer, uh, wouldn't you think that he's going to send a redeemer like, you know, that, that's like Arnold Schwarzenegger, the, the Terminator coming, you know, like that? But no, he sends a redeemer in the womb of an unmarried teenage girl in a time in which society was killing babies. That's how he sent his Messiah, that green shoot. And he doesn't send him to, to, to Rome. He doesn't send him to Jerusalem. He sends him to a little village called Bethlehem, the least likely. I wonder what God could do in least likely Leesburg. I wonder what God is wanting to do in least likely the villages, Wildwood, uh, Tavares, Central Florida. I wonder what he's waiting to do through some people that are willing to say, Lord, I will surrender my life to you and you can use me how that you want. Years later, the critics dismissed Jesus by saying, well, this is the carpenter's son. I mean, Jesus is starting to teach now. And they just say, well, he's the least likely. He's a carpenter's son. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't, he's not part of the Sanhedrin. He's a carpenter. That wasn't something that you would applaud. That was not a compliment, but it was a slur. And people say, oh, we know him. We knew his family. We knew Mary, we knew Joseph, we, need, we knew Jesus' brothers and sisters. And did you hear about him? He's the bastard child. He was born without a father. Do you know him? That's him. That's our Messiah. That's the league of the least likely. He knows what it's like to bear shame. He knows what it's like for some of you that have gone through life with shame and people have shamed you all their life, and they've called you names, and they put you down. He knows what that's like. He knew what that was like growing up as a young boy. He knew what that was like, but he knew that he was on mission because he was, the, he was part of the least likely because God knew that you'd be sitting here today in 2021, and he wanted you to be able to identify with a Jesus that can identify with you that whatever you're going through and how many people have put you down, he's simply saying, they put me down too, but guess what? Not even the grave could keep me, but I rose out of that because God has a plan to redeem fallen man. I mean, look at this. When you read Matthew, 
in the, in the genealogy of Jesus. He's not a pure blood. There's a lady in there that you may not want. Rahab, the high-priced call girl. The prostitute from Jericho. God's going to redeem and deliver Jericho into the hands of the children of Israel. And he looks inside Jericho, and he sees the least likely woman that he can choose. And he says, I'll choose you. You're going to help redeem this city. That's Jesus. You got to pass something you passed in your life that you don't like. Jesus is saying, don't worry. Don't worry. I still choose you to be part of the league of the least likely. But not only that, not only was he the rabbi that was least likely, but think about God's method of, of deliverance. It was through pain, crucifixion. I mean, the cross. Who would ever think of that? So Isaiah said, I see him coming. 700 years, I see the Messiah coming. 700 years ahead. And people will ignore him. He'll look like the least likely. He won't be the most popular. But then he goes on to say, verses 3 and 4, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. He said, I see all these people. Jesus is despised, but people don't even care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Verse 5, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Isn't that amazing? 700 years before it happened, Isaiah saw it, and now it's written down in history. 700 years before, and now it's a part of history. Verse 6, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was unjustly condemned. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Would you raise your hand if you're part of that righteous redeem that he took your sins away? That's a good place to give a hallelujah. Hand clap, say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. 700 years before he was ever born. Isaiah said, this is who, 700 years, Tim. He looked and he saw Tim sitting here and saying, he's one of the descendants of this rabbi that was the least likely. And Tim now becomes part of this league of the least likely because the blood was applied to his life. Amen. Verse 12, he bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. A message translation said, he embraced the company of the lowest. He embraced the company of the lowest. Listen, if you're here today and you would say to me, what is the essence of Christianity? What is Christianity really all about? Can you, can you bear it down into, into one thing? It would be verse six. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. 
We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He said, all mankind has gone astray. We've turned to our own way. I'm in charge of my life. I'll run my life. Nobody will tell me how to run my life. The church, the Bible, nobody will tell me how to run my life. I'll run it myself. You know what that is? That's rebellion. And it's called sin. And if you're in sin today, you're a, you're a hostage. And there's no hope of you to be released outside of this Redeemer, Jesus Christ. But God was not willing that people would be held in guilt and condemnation. So he planned before the earth was ever formed, that there would be a suffering servant, a Messiah that would come for redemption and that he would lay the sin of all mankind upon that Messiah. And Isaiah said, I saw it 700 years before it ever happened. I saw the sin of everybody here today, past, present, and future. And it was placed on Jesus, the Messiah, as he hung on the cross. He hung there for your sins and my sins and he shed his blood. That's the heart of Christianity. 1 Corinthians 1 and 18 through 20 said the message of the cross. Another translation says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we're being saved now by the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest human strength. He says, you know, when you logically think about it, a cross, Jesus dies, shed his blood, takes my sins, Terry, you can't really mean that. I mean, that just, that sounds silly. It sounds foolish. How, how could that really be? That's what Paul says. Paul says, the wisdom of man that wants to control everything, right? Control everything. Control it. I, I, this, this, is how I, this is how I'll please God. This is how I'll serve God. You know, it's foolishness to people who are away from God. But for those of us that have been redeemed by that precious blood of the Lamb, Glory, glory to his name. Glory, glory to his name. Point two, don't judge by what is seen, but what is. Don't judge by what is seen, but what is. When, uh, when Samuel went to choose a new king, Samuel chose the brightest, the best looking, could throw a football farther, could bench press 500 pounds, had all the looks, all of that. And God says to Samuel, I don't judge the way the world does. I look past the appearance. I look past the religious actions. And I look at the heart. I look at the heart that is willing to be surrendered to me. And he chose David. So don't look. When you, when you look at this Isaiah 53, we see the death. We see the cross. We see the punishment. But there's more there. You've got to look with spiritual eyes. Look at verses 10 through 12. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his own hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be what? Satisfied. Isn't that what he said? It is finished. 
It is finished. When he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. There's nothing else to do. There's no other way for redemption. There's nothing else that can be done. It is finished. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier, not defeated, because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many. Notice what it says. He will be satisfied. Isaiah said, I'm looking, I'm seeing suffering, I'm seeing pain, I'm seeing a beating, but wait, it doesn't end there. I see that he's now satisfied the price of sin and forgiveness. I now see that he's not cut off with no descendants, but I see a long line from every tribe, every country, every nation, every group that follows after him. He said, it's unbelievable I see this. He sees the resurrection and the reigning power of God, a great assembly of people. There are over 2 billion Christians today around the world that are celebrating Resurrection Sunday. You're part of two billion Christians. You know, when you go to the Holy Land with us, they'll take you to a place and they say, we believe maybe this is where Jesus, the tomb that he was laid. And you know what? The first time that I went there, I remember I was turning to walk out of that little tomb, bending over because it's so low. And there was a plaque there years ago that said, he's not here. He's risen. See, the thing that separates Christianity from every other world religion is Our Messiah, our leader, is not dead, but he's living right now. He's alive and well right now. That's why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. There are a lot of great world religions, approximately 1.2 billion worshipers of Islam, and their founder was Muhammad. When he died, they buried him in a mosque in the prophet city of Medina in Saudi Arabia, and his body's still there. There are 1.2, there are 820 worshipers of Hinduism. They had three, they worship three separate gods. Although they don't have a one founder, every leader who ever led in Hinduism, he died and he's still dead. 360 million worshipers of Buddhism today who worship Buddha. When he died, his body was cremated and his body is still there. 15 million worshipers of Judaism, the founder Abraham, and they're still waiting for the Messiah. Six million worshipers of Confucianism worshiped Confucius. He's dead in his birthplace in China. He's still there. There's so many religions in the world and people say, what makes you think that Christianity is better than anybody else? What makes you think you're the only way? Because we are the only group that our Messiah prophesied that he would die, prophesied that on the third day he would arise and he was able to carry that out. I submit to you a leader who's able to plan out, prophesy his death, burial, and resurrection is a man worth you standing up and saying, I'm gonna follow him. I'll be part of who he wants me to be. And you say, well, I just don't know if I believe in the resurrection. Listen to me. Go back in history, search it out for yourself. No one, not one author in the first century of which would have been a witness to the resurrection of Jesus, not one of them 
disputes the resurrection in their writing. There's no evidence in that ancient world that anyone disputed that Jesus didn't come forth out of that grave. Even the Romans who crucified him could have easily written something that he didn't rise, but he did. Many people saw him. Many that were dead rose with him. He walked among people, and today he is alive and he is well today. That's why Christianity is different than anybody else. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 said, You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. You were cut off and you were cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it all away by nailing it on the cross. Before there was salvation for us, there was a sacrifice of Jesus. Why? Because he wanted anybody, anywhere that could call on the name of Jesus that could be saved. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to heal you of your brokenness. He wants to remove your shame. He wants to make you brand new. Not a better version of your old self, but he wants to make you brand new. Listen, if there were no resurrection, then we might as well quit. We might as well abandon everything. I have a cross around my neck. But the cross is not what separates Christianity from anywhere else. There are a lot of religious leaders that died on the cross, but there's only one that died on the cross, laid in the tomb, and on the third day, God rolled the stone away, and he walked out, and he walked among men. He walked among those that were rebellion, those that had walked away. There was a group of disciples that they, they saw that he died, and they all left away. Listen, we're talking about the league of the least likely. He's been with his disciples for three years. But on that Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, not one of them is at the tomb, counting down 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. They all abandoned him. Just like maybe you today. You've abandoned him and you've walked away. Like the disciples walking away back to their hometown. And they're walking along and they're downcast and they're tired. And Jesus suddenly appears and he says, why are you so downcast? Why are you so down and out? He said, well, who are you? you? You must be from a different country. Because we thought Jesus was the Messiah. We thought he was the answer. But look, he's dead. We're going back home. We're going back home. We're going back home to how life used to be. I'm talking to somebody that's here today and somebody that's watching online. You decided to walk away from God and you walked back home. But God sent me to tell you today that he's come after you today. He's come after you with Holy Spirit convicting power. That's not your, that's not your lunch, your breakfast this morning that's making you upset and rolling your stomach. It's not nerves that's calling your, causing your hand to sweat right now. It's not any of that. It's not a heart condition that's causing your heart to beat faster and those tears in your eyes because he's saying you walked away from me, but I'm walking after you. And they said when he opened up their eyes and they saw it was Jesus, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? Didn't it warm within us that we knew that he was there some of you today are about 20 inches away from freedom you're about 20 inches away from peace you're about 20 inches away from what God wants to do in your life 
You say, what do you mean 20 inches? It's basically the difference between most the average person between your knees and your feet. Because you see, if you think you're in control, you're standing strong. I'm in control. I've got it together. I don't need anybody to tell me. I don't need anybody. I don't need a church and all of that. And so you're in control. How's that working for you? How's that working for you? But you see, the difference is 20 inches. I go to my knees and I lift my hands and I just surrender. I surrender. Some of you today have been trying to be in control of your life. So, well, I'm in control and if the Lord will do this, you know, like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if you can let this pass. But then he says, yet not what I, but what you want. So I don't know what that might be for you today. Maybe you've been trying to control everything. And the Lord just simply says today, would you just surrender it to me? Would you just surrender it to me? I know it might be weird. It might even seem strange. But maybe today the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and watching online or even here today or watching it later. You say, you know what? I want to take that symbolic journey from standing and being in control and go to my knees and lift my hands. Say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. Let me pray for us today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, would you allow us a new dimension of surrender to you? Lord, we don't have to be in control. We just want you to be in control. Our families, our life, our kids. We so often want to control all of those issues, but Lord, we, what we can't control, we just surrender to you. Surrender. What I can't control about my life, I just surrender to you. Right where you're sitting, why don't you just lift your hands to the Lord and surrender whatever he's put upon your heart right now. Or maybe you're here today and you're watching online. You say, you know what? I need to surrender my life to the Lord. I'm lost without him. I need his forgiveness. I need his grace. I need his mercy. I need him to deliver me. I need Jesus. If that's you today, I want to lead you in a prayer right where you're sitting. But you just want to slip up your hands and say, yeah, that's, that's me. I want to pray that. Would you pray this prayer with me? Father God, thank you today for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I've been standing and in control of my life, but I kneel before you and I say I surrender. I give you my heart. I give you my life, my hope and my future. Forgive me my sins. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Listen, 
Church, would you celebrate with me this morning, those who prayed that prayer? Come on, let's celebrate with me today, those who prayed that prayer. It's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in your life. We would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps might be, visit thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.